Well, good morning and welcome everyone. Thanks for grabbing your coffees and joining us once again. And uh, thank you, Stacey, for coming back onto the uh, Live and Learn series. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. Um, so today, um, as we got into season two, there was, there's been quite a lot of questions and quite a lot of conversations around what should we be actually measuring? Are we focusing on the right things? And actually, are we even just focusing on too much? There's this weird, and I'm going to say even unhealthy obsession with what we claim as vanity metrics. But I think there's just this, and not just within brands and in marketing, but just in society generally, this huge desire for the high numbers. Oh, I'm trending. Oh, I've got this many followers. Oh, I've got this many likes. But in a brand environment, does that really matter? Um, and I know that that's kind of the, the things that we're going to be talking about and, and how to bring together um, this, uh, what all of it means and what we should be following and just kind of get past the myth and the obsessions that we, that we've become a bit too accustomed to. Yeah, can't so, wait. Stacey, I know we, we were chatting about this earlier in the week and um, there is this constant back and forth, especially with agency and client in the social, and I think we'll just stick to because this can go quite far wide as it as a topic. But if we just stick to the uh, organic social and paid social, um, just to give us some parameters, otherwise we would, we could be here all day. Organic, we look at just organic for a moment. The, there is, I don't know if you're finding this, but in digital, it seems to always be about quantity over quality. Mm. Definitely, I think that is where we see that coming from clients. And to be honest with you, I think this is an education thing. I think it is the fact that as we, we as marketers know that vanity metrics, well, let's identify what vanity metrics are really. They are the things that are, are there to show outwardly. They're almost like the thing that you become obsessed with to show outwardly, but don't actually contribute towards your strategic marketing approach. So aren't actually leading you necessarily towards the results that you're actually looking for. Um, so you're right. I think, you know, we see this happen with clients all the time where they're focused on, all right, we're running an organic uh, social campaign. Um, is this growing quickly enough? Why are there not enough comments? You know, it, there's not enough reactions to these sorts of posts. They're very, very focused on, you know, sort of impressions, likes, comments. Um, but that's not necessary. depending on what the objective is, depending on what we are attempting to do with an organic campaign, should, it doesn't necessarily mean those are the right metrics to be focused on. So I think it depends, right? So, you know, I think it's, it's almost thinking about the entire buyer's journey and where does, if we're speaking about organic social, where does organic social play a role in that entire marketing funnel? And yeah. then at that point is when you determine what KPIs you should be monitoring. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's, it's okay for certain channels to be brand and profile growth and some mm -hmm. channels to be focused a bit more on say lead generation. But ultimately there's no one silver bullet, right? Some of the biggest, largest, most um, profitable businesses in the world still have multiple channels otherwise you know if there was one silver bullet everyone would just do that right the biggest brands in the world have everything they have an seo team they have a paid social team they have a ppc team they have organic social they're doing email you know it goes on and because collectively mm -hmm. that drives the business for growth um yep. 
the vanity I think comes into it because there is this like this kind of desire and chase for there there's going to be one quick fix right we can just do everything and I understand in a small business you can't do everything you have to do little bits um but for me it's always focusing on that wider digital conversion cycle and looking at everything mm -hmm. that plays a part into it so yep. very often we will look back and look at our dashboards and trackers of what's been happening and all they really are doing although we do go into the fine detail of times posted and the quality of the content and the differences between them what we're really doing is looking back at where is the breaks in the chain and what do we need to focus on as the marketeers mm -hmm. they aren't really the big reports that we need to be looking at as a whole how do you kind of get over that um, with your clients and what you do at brand active well i think um you've you've hit the nail on the head there. really it's like what are you being hired to do because i think that is actually <laughs> the question um, you know, if uh, a client is hiring you to run an awareness campaign to build brand presence, that to, to get more uh, share of voice within the market, um, then of course the types of, you know, metrics that you should be tracking are things like audience growth, impressions, um, video, how many people are watching this video, likes, comments, like that is going to be really, really important because you're focused on awareness. Whereas if the client is hiring you for lead generation, granted that probably is not organic, that is probably paid, but that's a very different strategic approach to your social media. Um, you know, at the, at the lead generation phase, you're gonna be focused a little bit more on web conversions, the conversion rate, the return on investment on your ad spend, um, clicks through to the site. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a lot of the metrics are just very, very different for when you're looking at lead gen versus branding. So I think the first thing is education. I think with the client, it's like actually, okay, you've engaged us as an agency to work on brand. Therefore, here's what the approach is going to be. Here's the owned content we're going to be creating. Here's the hopefully earned content that you're going to be generating from your audience. And these are the metrics that we should be tracking. So I think it's from us. We, we should be helping and educating, I suppose, our clients on the difference because mm -hmm. the reality is they don't know that. They're not marketers necessarily. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's up to us to, I guess, educate where we can. And I think we, we touched on this previously, but that, that holistic approach and actually looking at all the channels working together um, is yeah. something that we're both really passionate about. And um, and let's touch on the, the kind of the, the, the research behind that and why. And, you know, yeah. every brand has, you know, every human being, when was the last time you, for a low, for above, say, a £50 purchase, so not a Instagram buy where it's quick impulse, something that's a bit larger, you wouldn't necessarily just go on from an ad or a social post to a site and even just leave your data for no good reason that the journey doesn't happen like that although I think that is still expected sometimes um, <laughs> in the same way that you don't see an ad jump in and just buy right there's, yeah. there's all the different touch points totally well there's um back, back in the day I think if we're talking you know I don't even know how long ago let's say 50s 60s the way that people would get in front of an audience might be something like a, t a tv advert let's mm -hmm. say so a brand would invest I think an example I've read quite a bit about is like cereal, right? So um, a, a cereal company would run a TV advert, you know, the family sees that TV advert, that's the stimulus, you become aware of the brand. Then the next time you're in a supermarket and you see that cereal, you're like, oh yeah, I saw that advertised, let's give that a go and you buy it. 
Um, and that that's sort of like what a journey could look like. And granted, that's a very small, you know, we're talking about a couple of pounds, a couple of dollars, whatever it is to buy a box of cereal. Um, but that's a very sort of direct flow in terms of the way that people would buy something. Jump forward, however many, 50, 70 years we are now, we are bombarded with messages as consumers. And we there's a, a very different approach to the way that things need to be marketed or advertised. Um, and something that I'm referring clients to a lot is a piece of research that came out from Google. It's actually from 2011. So this is actually fairly, um, it's nine, 10 years old now, um, is they call it the zero moment of truth or ZMOT. And essentially it is the piece between the stimulus, which is the ad, awareness of the brand, to the purchase. And in that zero moment of truth, Google suggests that the average consumer requires seven hours of exposure to the brand across 11 touch points on four different locations. And that is, that's a standard thing that we apply across any of our marketing campaigns is 7-11-4, seven hours, 11 touch points, four locations. Now that scales when you're talking about big ticket items. So, you know, if you're talking about something that is going to cost, you know, between five and 10,000 pounds, like a, uh, let's say, well, a car is probably a bit more expensive than that, but, you know, I think I saw an example of a car is the touch points are actually 18 to 25. So, um, if you don't know what that is for your industry or your product or your service, I think you go with the 7114 uh, recommendation. But it's really important to be aware that that is actually how much exposure you need to be aiming for. And again, where does your social sit in that pipeline? Because it's social is one location. And if we're saying you need a minimum of four locations, where are the rest of those touch points coming from? Yeah. And, and, and it's really interesting, actually, when you look at that, like a minimum of 11 touch points. Um, and how often in your content planning or your sales pipeline are you looking at where those 11 touch points are? Marketing and sales are very often still quite disjointed and it's, you know, marketing will bring in those leads. Actually, where does the lead begin? Because once you get yeah. past those 11 touch points, you've done a great job at getting that engagement, um, which leads us on nicely to engagement. We're constantly in this battle. And we still, I have to remind myself as, as a brand owner and as a marketeer that, we are constantly driving, striving for this higher engagement rate. And we know that it, platform averages, industry averages sit between two and 3%. That's great. Um, you and I both mm -hmm. um, strive for a minimum 5% in everything we do. Um, and some brands will go, you know, even, even further than that. But actually we have these people where it's the, the, the silent listeners. I've had clients come to us in the last year that have said, we've been watching you for a while. And I would have no idea because they have left no data, no cookie, nothing has been dropped. We're not, they're not on our yep. radar whatsoever. They haven't engaged in anything. They've just been watching and yet have become a client. Um, and that I always find really interesting because there is these social silent listeners and there are people yep. watching, but they're not actively engaging and are becoming clients. And there's no measure for mm -hmm. that apart from anecdotes. Yeah, 100%. Like, and I think that's exactly where, you know, we're always trying to get the client to shift their mindset a little bit because 
while we agree engagement will eventually lead to some kind of interaction and potentially purchase, it is not the, the route that every person goes. Um, and you're, you're exactly right. I've got so many examples of where it's happened for clients, where clients have said to me, oh, I've just done two sales this week and almost £10,000 in sales. And neither the, across two, you know, two different people that have made a purchase, we go back to have a look and figure out how, where, where they came from. Um, the comment is that they've seen them on LinkedIn, uh, but there's absolutely no record of them engaging at all. I've had exactly the same thing happen for myself. I signed a client sort of this time last year, actually. And when I spoke to him a little bit about where they came across us, he said, oh, I um, first came across you about 18 months ago when I saw you speak at an event. And then I've been you know, following you on social media for mm -hmm. a while. And then I attended two more events that you were speaking at. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, okay, finally, I'm going to hire you. And I was like, wow, I, did, I had no idea that you even existed. But you've been stalking me for 18 months. So... <laughs> You know, it's like, funny, isn't it? We say stalking, but we put this content out there to be found, yeah. right? Then it's like, oh, hold on, they've been watching, but they haven't said anything. How do I feel about yeah, that? Yeah. <laughs> but this is where the 7-Eleven Force so important, right? Because a great example of that is he's actually attended three live events. That's one location. He's attend he's watched us across our different social channels. There's another location. He actually had a copy of my book. There was a third location. So I, very quickly I'm like, you know what? Like he has been overly exposed to our brand and then eventually that leads to a sale mm -hmm. and I think that's the tricky part um, I think if you're a business that's been around for a long time if you've invested in marketing for a long time you have historic data to work with right so this is much easier to track mm -hmm. because you know that if we put out this type of content we run these kind of ads we do this form of marketing that our cycle looks like this However, if you're a new business or a very, very small business that has only, you know, hasn't operated across multiple channels, you have no historic data to work with at all. Mm -hmm. So the reality is it is guesswork. You are testing. You are going with um, what you can see other, you know, people within the industry are doing mm -hmm. um, as a benchmark. But until you actually have that data of your own, it's I don't want to say it's blind it's not completely blind but it's you are testing you're yeah. feeling stuff out a little bit you know absolutely and I think with the way behavior is changing so rapidly all the time um that historical data it is it is history it is historical data it is a guidance it is a trend you can't take everything from it you know with digital you always need that test and learn environment that safe space to you know, save a pot of money that's always testing to see if is a channel now going to work for you. Um, yeah. And I think, uh, and again, you know, metrics and measures, all of them are lagging indicators, right? They're all past. So as marketers, we're also having to always strive to find what is the next leading indicator and how do we help brands moving forward? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think like one thing I just kind of wanted to point out is that I think because this can be confusing, right? So for anybody who's listening to this, they could be thinking, okay, well, what am I supposed to be focusing on? Um, and so I guess the, the first thing we should probably point out is try to come up with at least one key objective or what is the goal of this particular channel or this particular tactic? One, one objective, um, one key one. You can have supporting objectives, but as soon as you start saying, here are the five different things that I want to achieve, you're just going to flounder around and you're not going to be able to understand really what is happening. So one really, really key objective, then you figure out, right, what are the metrics 
that are not the vanity ones, but the ones that are actually moving us through the through this um, customer journey. The ones that are actually, you know, herding people towards like where they need to be going rather than the vanity metric. So uh, the flip side of that is I don't want to say, oh, you shouldn't be so worried about likes. and You shouldn't really worry if nobody's commenting because maybe that is an indication that people aren't really resonating with, with the content. Um, but equally, just because you get a lot of likes and a lot of comments, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that that is the amazing thing either. Mm. I actually had a prospect approach us probably this is actually going back two or three years now but um they said to us you know we need some support some help we ran a campaign ourselves um an advertising campaign so paid social and we were trying to build our email list so we want we were giving away an iphone and and i was like okay right um you know an iphone costs what a thousand pounds um they ended up getting a little over seven thousand subscribers onto their list from that campaign um, I don't recall how much they spent on their advertising, but essentially that is, that's a pretty decent return, right? The 7,000 people onto a list. Mm-hmm. However, this was a luxury food brand. When we looked at the data of the actual subscribers, on average 16 to 21 year olds, 16 to 21 year olds were very excited about the iPhone. However, they aren't the right demographic for a luxury food. This is a luxury food brand um, mm-hmm. that do sort of baskets and things and Harrods. You know, the demographic really was like 40 to 55 year old female. Like they just had, they'd marketed it in the wrong way. So I think this is a really good example of a vanity metric because it's like amazing. We've got 10,000 people on an email list. Those people don't matter. They're not the right people. They're never going to buy this product. Yeah. So I don't know is that a good illustration I guess of, of I, I think absolutely it's about it is about the quality over the quantity and um and, and that being the metric so you could have 70 people on that email list but they are between 35 and 45 live in affluent areas and already yeah. subscribing to or interested in other luxury food brands and they fit the lookalike profile and they are clearly the audience um and then trying to get in front of those 70 people would be a better mm-hmm. use of time and energy and marketing resource over the 7,000 yeah. where you may get 0.2% open rate on that email because it's not going to be of interest and probably yeah, a very high unsubscribe rate. And even that smaller number, yes, they are probably more expensive to get onto the list. The cost of acquiring that lead is probably a lot more expensive than it was to run this iPhone campaign. But is that doesn't matter right like if they're not the right people to be purchasing from you mm-hmm. it is vanity i yeah. don't care that you've got seven thousand people on an email list yeah and that's uh, it's a really good point uh, that you touch on cost per acquisition and cost per view so if you look at a three thousand pound campaign but your cost per acquisition actually is 500 because you're only going to get say six people right you're But if that value, lifetime value, and the worth of that client is 5, 10, 15 times more than that, it's 100% right. In the digital world, if you said you've got a cost per acquisition of £500, it would be like, what what are you you doing? (laughs) And and for consumer brands, that would be ridiculous. But for businesses or high ticket price points or the service industry, um, actually, that's that's great. Because if you get six new clients, that's that's brilliant. yeah. But I think it's maybe it's it's removing the cost per acquisition and looking at 
the return on investment of a client and their, their lifetime worth. 100%, yes. Yeah, I think that's what you need to do. You just have to start with the cost of yeah lifetime value of a customer and then figure out what is the cost of you know delivering that service or product and actually what can you be spending? I don't know what sort of advice you give your clients. A lot of the times we will sort of work around that 10% number that 10% of the uh, lifetime value should be reinvested into the acquisition of that of the next lead. Which is high that it's for I'm talking small businesses I think once you're a, you know once you're a multi-million dollar business mm-hmm. you're sort of down around that sort of four to five percent probably um but I think as a small business you know unfortunately it is a considerable investment in acquiring a customer yeah um and I often look at that as if someone introduced us a lot in business to business service industry there's a lot of um if someone introduces them, they'll get a 10% kickback or something. And there's, there's a lot of those. And, and, it's, and you'd be fine to do that to a person. So I often always say, why would you not want to do that with reinvent, reinventing your marketing? So every time there is a new customer, why not increase your marketing budget by 10%? Uh, what yeah. usually happens is the budget will be set at the beginning of the year uh, when you have lower turnover, lower revenue or gross profit, depends on how you do it. And then throughout the year you grow, but yet you haven't then reinvested that back in to the marketing budget. Right. And what will all often yeah. happen is it will be that there is this, oh, well, we got that sale. If it was a marketing sale, then we would reinvest it in marketing. Like, oh, but actually, if you base it on what we've just been talking about, there will be, yeah, everyone, there will be a direct relation to marketing. It's just slightly more difficult to prove because we have to have seven hours yeah. of content over 11 touch points on four different channels all of which are funded yeah. individually, um, not looked at holistically. Um, and I'd use an example, actually, a client of ours, uh, we, we've been slowly but surely building the brand and their profile, and they are growing and, and getting more customers. And there was a piece of activity where they said, oh, well, that didn't do anything. And I'm like, okay, do you feel comfortable stopping it though? And I said, well, do you feel comfortable stopping mm-hmm. all marketing on the basis of what's just happened in the last year? And they were like, no, it's because it's really hard to get that direct correlation. But in these conversations you're having, have they not seen your content or checked against it or found you through one of the seven different channels we're now working on? Um, And that's where, again, that that vanity metrics, you're sort of encouraging people to open up their mind and a little bit of common sense applied to all of these things. Um, So I'll bring it back to global brands continue to do all of these channels and are constantly looking for more touch points and more channels to do it in totally yep i mean yeah exactly you see you know uh, i use the example apple all the time i'm like we all know the brand apple we all buy their products however apple are still heavily investing in marketing we walk through tube stations and we see their big adverts all over the place we Mm -hmm. they invest in you know these incredible video pieces of content that they share across Apple TV that we watch across YouTube uh, that's hitting us from all these different paid search angles. Um, They hugely invest in their customer service team. Um, They invest in, they give away free training just to teach you how to use the product. That that is all a marketing investment because that's that's a retention strategy. Um, You don't get to a point where if, if a global brand like that is still investing in all of these areas, how can we as smaller businesses think that we don't need to play on the same field you know yeah absolutely it's crazy yeah as they they don't need to do it they don't need to have retail space we will still buy their products 
yet they've invested mm. in environments and villages for you to go and be in the brand environment. So um, yeah. that's a great example. That familiarity, right? The mere exposure effect, which we use across all marketing. It's like the, you need to be exposed to the brand. Well, as we've just talked about, 7-Eleven 4, constantly in order to build trust with a, a consumer in order for them to purchase with you. So mm-hmm. there's, it's, there's no escaping it. It's the reality. Um, it just needs to be done. Yeah. I want to uh, touch on uh, followers following um, and the, the difference between buying followers and doing a paid follower campaign. Um, and just yeah. to the highlight at the difference, buying followers is literally buying a whole group of followers if they even exist. It's like buying an email list that's really not probably relevant to your business and they probably really yeah. don't want to be contacted by you versus advertising on social platforms with this call to action that is to get more followers. So rather than sending them off to your website or to a landing page, the advert is literally encouraging more followers. So mm-hmm. the person is still choosing to click, therefore they are actively engaging with the brand. It's just, you're putting the advert in front of people that you haven't necessarily engaged with before. Um, yeah. I'm interested in your your thoughts on, on the, the, the differences and- um, Well, they're hugely different because buying a follower account, followers for social, it's not real at all. Um, you're buying either bots or expired accounts that aren't active. So it unfortunately, when that does happen, completely destroys any data. Because if you if you are focused on engagement rates or you are remarketing to your existing you know, follow account, actually you're spending money on things that aren't real. <laughs> like if I run a retargeting campaign towards my followers and the friends of followers, for example, but 10,000 of those are actually fake, then I'm just burning money. Like it's just an absolutely ridiculous, stupid thing to do. Um, when you're running a paid campaign to acquire followers, well, those are real followers because we are putting the, you know, the platforms, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever, putting your brand in front of people that meet that sort of demographic that you have given them. And you, you can directly target them to make sure they're the right people, right? Yeah, hundred percent. And so those are real followers. Yes. It's a hugely significant, different type of investment. Um, but it's, they're, they're nowhere near the same thing. Um, and that's something to, to be aware of. And I think it's, it's a dangerous thing because I I have clients or prospects actually that approach us all the time and go, we're a new brand. What we're going to do is we're going to buy our first 10,000 followers on Instagram so I can get the swipe up. Yeah. And it's like, okay. Um, so I, I get, I get it because Instagram is kind of rewarding you um, for having a high follower account. But when, if you plan to invest in any kind of paid activity or plan to track anything, any metrics, your numbers are going to be completely skewed. Mm-hmm. So you don't actually know what is working and what is not working. So I think it's a dangerous, a dangerous thing. Um, I think, you know, while I say Instagram is trying to, you know, they reward you for, for having a high follow account, equally they're testing things, right? Like we know that out in Australia, they've removed the option for people to see how many likes you have mm-hmm. on, on posts. So there are, 
and that's relating to mental, you know, so mental health and, you know, people's obsession with likes on posts and how they place so much importance on that. And that's, you know, so I think it's interesting to see that some of these platforms are testing things out to see really how can we get this to be a lot more real mm. and less about the, the fake numbers, I guess. Yeah. And I, I really um, welcome that and really encourage that from platforms that they are acknowledging and also testing things out to get away from these obsessions. It's not great for people or for the people that work at brands either, because there are yeah obsessions in in the wrong way. You know, ultimately, as a brand, are you reaching slightly more people with an organic growth? Are you reaching the right kinds of people? Are they engaging every so often? And is yep. that slowly but surely building and scaling and growing your business? Um, and each month, they really should be the questions that we should be able to answer. And there should be yeah. clarity on both sides with the client, with the marketeers or marketing team and founders, whatever. Um, yeah. Everyone's on the same page that they can answer those questions confidently. What often mm -hmm. happens is there's obsessions with the numbers. So marketeers, agencies, all done it, where they'll go in and be like, oh, let, you know, let's focus on this one, this is amazing. Yeah, it is, it's probably you trying to cover up something else that maybe isn't going so well. So let's keep the yeah. consistent and clear um, and have a bit more of a conversation around it rather than this obsession with, oh, we've got four trending posts. Okay, mm -hmm. we're not really seeing much interest in that core growth. Um, yeah, so- I think that's the thing. When focus on the financial reward from things they will they'll realize that very quickly right like um yeah what does a trending post matter if it doesn't lead to you know traffic to the website or engagement with the brand or a, you know going onto a mailing list or inquiring about a product it, it doesn't yeah and i think it goes back to that thing of having purpose behind each activity so if you are doing a campaign mm -hmm or a post, email, whatever, there has to be purpose behind it. If it's actually, okay, our audience is marketeers and I want to grow our audience with 50 more marketeers. And that is yeah. more realistic because 50 more marketeers is more important to me than a 5,000 follower list. And yeah. we have that very specific because that's what we're actually looking to do. Um, and I would say the mm -hmm. same for brands as well like really identify who it is that matters to you and what are the moments in which you can connect with them. Um, and connections happen in many ways. They aren't necessarily through metrics. Um, we yeah. touched on it before. People are watching and listening silently and catching up and waiting for their time before they then come forward and say, oh, I'm ready now. We've covered a bit about what to obsess with, not what not to obsess with, etc. Um, but maybe just a few last tips and words of wisdom on what we should be doing. So we've spoken a lot about what we shouldn't do. I think it's always useful to try and yeah. have a little bit in there about what we should focus on. Yeah, sure. I think just, well, one tip is to just identify the, the one thing you're trying to achieve. So if it is, um, I'll give maybe a tangible example. If it is awareness for your brand, mm -hmm. Um, that is your key sort of overarching goal, then the sorts of metrics that you want to put in place or that you do want to track with regards to that are going to be um, impressions, likes, audience size, 
video views and perhaps um, replays of video, for example. Um, if if your objective is actually sales, revenue, you know, um, actual um, acquisition, then what you want to be looking at is link clicks through to a site, social traffic, page actions that have been taken, um, sales conversions. So I guess I've, have I overcomplicated that? Hopefully not. So essentially what you're doing is one, you're just deciding what it is that you're trying to achieve with this mm -hmm. campaign and decide the metrics that help identify if that is what is happening mm -hmm. rather than focusing on. And actually let's just look at all the different metrics that there are. So I think get really, really clear on, on that goal. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, if you do find yourself sort of obsessing over vanity metrics of your, I don't know, growth of your, your account, um, just, just ask yourself why, why do you care about this? Why, what does it matter? Um, and I think if there's a, you can find a way to reframe the way that you think about that um, and actually put some harder metrics in place that actually generate business for you, then you're going to feel a lot better about it. Because I think this is, this is the, the difficult thing about this whole subject is the fact that actually we just like likes right? Like <laughs> that we just kind of like to see that we have a really strong follow account or that, that loads of people are engaging with. We like to look popular. Um, and that's a really hard thing to get past. So I think it's making it less personal and making it more about actually what matters for the business, not what, what my opinion matters or what, I don't know, an external opinion means. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, thank you very much. It's been really insightful. And I love this topic. I think we could just go on all day, but I think that's a nice yeah. part for us to, to call it a day. So thank you very much and um, really appreciate your time and coming back on here. Um, and if there's any questions after listening to this, feel free to get in contact with any of us or uh, you can post in the, the chat after, after the podcasts. Thanks okay. for having me, Charlotte. It's been great. Speak to you soon, Stacey.